Right, chapter 4 of John. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When the Samaritan woman came to draw when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is for the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. 
Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Well, what a week we've just had. Almost every day above 35 degrees. It was so hot and dry, so hard to keep our gardens and our lawns alive. It's it's been a a really difficult week. And that's even with just a twist of a tap. Suddenly you can have clear, fresh, flowing water springing up all around us. Now, I think because of how easy for us, it is for us to get water like this, it it can be easy to miss the power of what Jesus is offering when he offers this woman living water. Living water, by the way, meant running water or or flowing water. Now, clearly, Jesus means more than just running water. Clearly, he's using it as a metaphor to point to something more, something more precious than water, more thirst-quenching even, something that he says is eternal life-giving. But having water permanently on top, uh, on tap, I reckon means that we could miss just how powerful this picture is that Jesus is painting for this woman. But this woman at the well, there's no chance that she would be missing it. Now, she might be missing what Jesus means by living water. She might be missing what he's pointing to. But she can't miss the connection between thirst and and water, and life. Because to get water, she has to walk a kilometre out of her town in the heat of the day, carrying a bucket. She has to lower that bucket down 30 metres on a rope and then haul it back up 30 metres. She has to carry it back home and then she has to repeat that day after day for the rest of her life. For this woman, thirst, water, and life go together powerfully. Now, mind you, I reckon many of us here would have had times in our lives where we've felt that powerful connection as well. When I was about 16, I went on a a two-night hike in the bush and I wasn't really prepared for it. Didn't have Bear grills with me either. And my my friend and I, we were following this river and at at one point on this, this trip, we had to turn off the river and follow a creek that flowed into the river. But the problem was, the creek wasn't flowing. And being a little bit stupid, we hadn't brought a water container with us. So we followed this creek anyway, and for the next 24 hours, the only liquid that we had was custard for some reason. (laughs) Hiking in the heat with no water for 24 hours, I can tell you I was not thirsting for rivers of living custard. And when we got back to the car, finally in the evening and had a, uh, with a big bottle of water there, I had no doubt about that powerful connection that exists between thirst, water and life. Maybe you've had times in life like that too. 
But as we eavesdrop in on this conversation between Jesus and this woman, keep in mind that Jesus is talking about something even more powerful than that connection between thirst, water and life. He's talking about a water that ends a more desperate thirst, a water that leads to life that is eternal. Just before we get into this conversation between Jesus and the woman, have you noticed as we've been going through John that in every chapter so far, there's been water, something about water. In chapter 1, John the Baptist is baptizing in water. In chapter 2, Jesus turns water in the purification vessels into wine as a sign. In chapter 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus that he has to be born of water and the Spirit. And also in chapter 3, John's there baptizing again. And Jesus' disciples are now baptizing there where water is abundant. But look at how chapter 4 starts in verse 1. Oops, next one. It starts like this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. This is a little bit of a strange introduction in a couple of ways. If Jesus is having such an impact here, so many people are following him, why leave? And second, why does John, the gospel writer, kind of go out of his way to point out that Jesus is not the one doing the baptizing here? Now, it could be that Jesus leaves because he knows that the time has not yet come for a full-on confrontation with the Pharisees. It could be that he doesn't want the Pharisees driving a wedge between John the Baptist and him. Now, both those things are probably true. But the big reason why Jesus leaves is that he has work to do. Not the work of baptizing people with water, not the work of of gathering lots and lots of superficial followers. He's after a different harvest. That's what he's working for. He's seeking something different. He's seeking true worshippers of God who he won't wash clean with water, but he'll wash clean with the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is doing here at the well in Samaria. This is what he's seeking. You know, Samaria was in between Judea, where he was baptizing, and Galilee, where he was heading. It was a land filled with people that the Jews didn't like at all, hated even, and a place where Jews tried to power through as quick as they could. But Jesus is here seeking true worshippers of God in unexpected places. There are three things that, that become clear in Jesus' conversation with this woman at the well. It becomes clear that Jesus knows what she's thirsting for, even when she doesn't. And it becomes clear that Jesus cares about her thirst, even when she's not interested in him. And it becomes clear that Jesus has got what it takes to quench her thirst. Now, we don't get the full backstory of this lady like we would if it was a reality TV show, you know, like MasterChef, where you start to wonder what all the crying has to do with cooking. But we do get enough of a backstory to know that this is a woman who is thirsty in life. I mean, no one sets out in life to have five marriages fail, either by tragedy or selfishness or being betrayed or betraying. 
No one sets out in life to be excluded by their community. That's what's going on here. That's why she's alone in the heat of the day instead of walking and laughing with a bunch of friends in the cool of the morning or the evening. This is a woman who's seen a lot of life, who's exhausted quite a few options, and she's come up dry. Can you sympathize with this woman? Woman, Maybe even you can empathize with her. See, the truth is, if you scratch below the surface with almost anyone, you find that people are thirsty. Everyone is either looking for something or in the process of discovering that what they've got is actually not satisfying them like they hoped or they've just given up hope entirely that they'll ever find what they're thirsting for. I think most of us can empathize with this woman. But notice in this conversation that Jesus is saying much, much more to her than if you come to me, all of your wildest dreams will come true. He's not saying that he'll give her what she's thirsting for in the places where she's looking. He's, he's going deeper than that. He's saying he'll give her what she's thirsting for in the places that she's not looking. This is one of the things that becomes clear in this conversation. Jesus knows what she's thirsting for, even when she doesn't. Look at verse 15, a little way into the conversation. At this point in the conversation, the woman, she says to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, it's, it's hard to know whether she's genuinely missing what Jesus is talking about or whether she's got a bit of a wry sense of humour. It's like she's thinking, oh joy, here's another proud Jewish man who wants to tell us Samaritans what we're missing out on. Yes, he's a bit different. Well, actually quite a lot different. He's actually treating me like a human being. But like the rest of them, he thinks he's God's gift to the world. Now, possibly that's what's going on. But whether she's reading Jesus like that or not, the way she's talking is like she's thirsting for physical things. She's talking like her great needs are things like water and having to get it day by day. But Jesus knows better. Jesus knows what she's thirsting for when she doesn't. I don't know about you, but I find it very easy to come to Jesus expecting it and maybe even, even demanding that he meets my thirst how I want him to. It's like he's offering living water, but I'm after Coke. Now, we, we sometimes look to Jesus like he's a means to a greater end. Like he's the bouncer who'll let us into the true party. But Jesus knows what we're really thirsting for. And he knows that all of our other thirsts are just symptoms of our greatest need, even when we don't see it. But notice that Jesus doesn't simply tell this woman what her greatest need is. He takes her on a journey that lets her start to see it for herself. He says in verse 16, Go, call your husband and come back. Now I wonder if she stiffened at this point when he said that. Because up till now the conversation has sort of been a little bit of fun, but suddenly it could easily turn serious for her. And if she's not careful, it could, it could turn quite painful. And so notice how she answers in a way that's truthful enough, but it protects her 
from having to go where she doesn't want to go. She says in verse 17, I have no husband. And Jesus, who's known this all along, he says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. And in this moment, in the conversation, suddenly she realized Jesus is not some self-proclaimed, know-it-all, proud teacher. He's the real deal. He sees her true situation. He knows the facts. He sees her longings, her heartbreak, her thirsts, her failures, her uncleanness. He sees it. Now keep in mind that Jesus saw this in her all along. He saw it, yet he spoke to her. He saw it, yet he treated her with dignity. He saw it, and yet even still he sparked in her the thirst for living water. Don't you love this about Jesus? I mean, he sees us. He knows the facts about us, things that we don't even want to see about ourselves. And he sees it, and yet he loves us and gently leads us to that point where we see our desperate need for him. This is the second thing that we just keep seeing in this conversation. Jesus cares about her thirst, even when she doesn't particularly care for him. She's not interested in him. He cares about her thirst. Jesus crosses every barrier to call this woman. Now, in this age of tolerance these days, this might seem unremarkable. You know, that Jesus would cross the barriers of race and religion and gender and lifestyle like he does here. We tend to kind of scoff at the the barriers that people used to put up in the past. But we're not actually better than them back then. We just have different barriers. We'll leave our, our, our neighbours lonely next door and we won't cross the road or, or cross the fence to meet them. But Jesus is different. He doesn't just talk about crossing barriers. He actually does it. She's a, a Samaritan. That was a, a real barrier, half Jewish, half Gentile. They had sided with the enemies of the Jews when they were trying to rebuild the walls and other times too. She has a different religion. That was a real barrier. The Samaritans claimed to be the real people of God. They only acknowledged the first five books of the Bible. She's a different gender. That was a real barrier back then. A man couldn't talk with a woman alone like that. And in the minds of some of them of that day, they wouldn't even bother. They didn't think that it was worth talking about matters of truth and meaning. She has a messed up lifestyle. That was a barrier, another barrier. This woman's clearly not living the way that God wants her to. She's unclean even in the eyes of her own people. But Jesus, how does he see her? Well, he sees her as unclean, just like he sees every one of us. But he sees and he reaches out and he offers her living water. He's not worried about her making him unclean. He is worried about making her clean, spiritually. You see, Jesus, he's not pointing out the mess in her life here to be clever or to be cruel. There's much more going on. You know, he could have, he could have said to her something like, you know, look, I know 
that you have a son, your firstborn son's called Graham. And look, I know that he has a birthmark on his back shaped like a pumpkin. Now, something like that would have shown that he's special, that he sees things. But that's not what's going on. He's not trying to say, look, hey, I know things. That's not what's going on. Instead, he goes really personal to show her that she really is thirsting. And more than that, he does it to show her why she desperately needs living water to see eternal life. Her thirst, it comes from being separated from God. And it's the same with you, it's the same with me. And just like her, our separation from God comes from needing to be washed clean by God. See, Jesus, he doesn't baptize with water. Why? Because he baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He washes us completely clean spiritually so that we can live forever in the presence of God. That's why Jesus shines the light on, on this area in her life. He chooses what's most obvious to her, what would have been obvious to anyone. Makes me think if I was at the well, where would Jesus have shone the light on me? You know, what part of my life shows that I'm thirsty, that I'm looking in the wrong places and that I need to be cleaned, washed? Most people, I don't reckon, they, they don't appreciate it when the light gets shone on them like that. And maybe that's why this woman all of a sudden seems to want to change the topic. She says in verse 19, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. But then she says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Have you ever met someone like that? You know, some people are really interested in, in talking about Jesus until things get uncomfortable. And then they want to talk about Jesus and what he has to say about life in general rather than what he wants to say, what Jesus wants to say them about them and their life in particular. Maybe you've been like that yourself at some point. Has God ever shone his light on, on something in your life? Maybe through a friend or through a sermon or something. And instead of seeing the facts when it gets uncomfortable, instead do you debate your way out of seeing things the way they really are? That's partly, probably, what's going on here with this woman. But what she says is not completely irrelevant to the discussion. Jesus, he's put his finger on her great need to be cleansed by God and to live in, in God's presence. And now she's, she's talking about things that they thought could make that possible. It's like she's saying to Jesus, okay, you got me. All right, I know, you're talking, I know you know what you're talking about now, but what do you really want from me? What are you saying? That me, a Samaritan woman, should approach God and, and seek to be cleansed in the temple in Jerusalem? Is that really what God is seeking? Now, Samaritans, they believed that they should worship God at Mount Gerizim, so they built a temple there. The Jews believed that the only right place to worship God was in Jerusalem at the temple. So a hundred years earlier, they destroyed the Samaritans' temple out of kindness to them. And this is a big issue for them, understandably. And notice with Jesus in this conversation, he goes wherever she goes. But he never stops there. Each time he takes her deeper. And so he says in verse 21, Woman, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain 
nor in Jerusalem. Now, he's not saying, worship God however you like. Jesus is not interested in, in a kind of empty tolerance. Jesus is interested in loving truth. And so he says that it's a bit confronting. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. He says there is a right way to worship God, and there are wrong ways to worship God. But his point is, he's bringing a new way to worship God. In verse 23, he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. The Father seeks people who will worship him no longer enabled by external means like the temple. Now he enables people to worship him by the Holy Spirit. We don't go somewhere to meet with God. We don't do something to be washed clean by God. We don't wash ourselves. We drink of the living water that Jesus gives us and we are washed and we become worshippers of God. And that worship wells up from within us and flows out of us wherever we are, whatever we do. Later on in in John chapter 7, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed him were, were later to receive. Do you see the power of what Jesus is offering us here? What washes us and what fulfills us? What leads us in worship? It's not religion. It's not ceremonial washing. It's not church services. It's not rituals. It's not communion that washes us and causes us to overflow. It's the gift of God. It's the washing that Jesus brings, our Saviour. It's the Holy Spirit within us who leads us in true worship of God. As we saw last week, Ezekiel puts it like this in chapter 36, verse 25. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God is seeking true worshippers who will worship him in spirit and truth and he's seeking them in the most unexpected places. Now, across this conversation with this woman, we see that Jesus really has got what it takes to quench her thirst. And she starts to see it too because it's a little bit slow, but to start with, he seems like a confused Jew in her mind. She moves to thinking he's a prophet And then at this point, there's another idea starting to form in her mind. She says in verse 25, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Seems like she's almost fishing, like this is a leading question. And Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And in the end, not just one woman is one to be a worshipper of God in spirit and truth, She leaves her physical water behind. She goes back into the town and she calls out the whole town to meet Jesus. And after meeting him for themselves, they say to her, 
We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Not just the saviour of the Jews, but the saviour of the world. They too see that Jesus has got what it takes to quench their thirst. Have you ever made that mistake where you go shopping when you're hungry? And you come back and there's like cupboards full of half-priced chocolate and chips and your wife says to you, did you even get what you went for, the milk? Milk chocolate count? You know, we do that spiritually too. We go looking in all the wrong places. Listen to how God puts it in Jeremiah chapter 2. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. How tragic is that? Are you thirsty? Jesus is the answer. Not because he'll give us access to some other true source of life, but because he'll fill us. He is the living water that we need. All other sources will disappoint you. Are you digging broken cisterns, cisterns that just can't hold water, that can't give you what you need, that can't fill you? Now, when we come to Jesus, obviously we still physically thirst for normal water. But when we come to Jesus, we will never spiritually thirst again. In this life, we still thirst for all sorts of things of this life, things like love and happiness and contentment and pleasure, meaning, respect, things like that. We still thirst for those. But when our great thirst is met, our spiritual thirst is met, then we can put all those other thirsts in context. Some of those thirsts are good and some of them are bad at different times. But none of them determine who we are anymore and we don't need to go looking to them to fill us anymore. When you come to Jesus, you are spiritually full and overflowing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that not just for yourself, but that's true for everyone? Do you notice what Jesus does when the disciples return? Have a look at verse 35. They're they're shocked that he's talking to this Samaritan woman. And he says to them, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. Lift your eyes, look up. They are ripe for the harvest. I think way too often we tell ourselves that the fields aren't ripe for harvest. But Jesus says, open your eyes, look up. There are harvests in unexpected places. God is at work in people that we wouldn't expect. Do you believe that? In verse 38, Jesus says, I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. The truth is, if you scratch beneath the surface with anyone, you'll find that people are thirsty. Whether people know it or not, they are spiritually thirsty. We just need God to open our eyes to see people differently. We just need Jesus' heart to, to cross the barriers, to care enough, love enough like Jesus, to cross the barriers. And we just need to remember that Jesus has got what it takes, not just for us, but for anyone who thirsts. 
if you're here today and you're not really sure if you're spiritually full or even if you're spiritually thirsty, but you kind of want to hear what Jesus has to say, you've never really done that. Well, as a church, we'd really love to actually start to do that more, to help people explore what Jesus says. Uh, There's a kind of resource that has Jesus' words in the Gospel of John and kind of a few notes along it that as a church, um, we'd love to, not all of us, but one of us, get together with you over coffee and just read what Jesus says, read about the living water that he offers. Whether it's me or someone else, that's something we would love to do. Come and chat to me and I can line that up for you. But if you already follow Jesus, you are already spiritually full. Drink deeply from him. Let me pray that God would help us do that. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus, for who he is, for the way he he pursues us, that he crosses every barrier, cultural or spiritual, to call us into your presence, to cleanse us so that we can happily dwell with you forever. Father, we thank you for the love of Christ that takes him to the cross, that he crosses there our ultimate barrier to being with you, our sin, our rejection of you. Father, help us to know that when we know Christ, we have everything we need spiritually. Lord, help us to overflow as we drink deeply of Christ, as your spirit moves us. Lord, help us to lift our eyes and to see that you, that Jesus is what everyone else needs as well. Lord, help us to see that people really are thirsty and help us to care enough to point them to Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.